0: Oh my goodness, you crazy son of a bitch. Do you have any idea what you've just done? You've just discovered the Martin Strap Show Podcast Hour. This is the show that may or may not be an hour long based on your perception of time and how much I've got to say. So strap yourselves in and prepare your ears for the journey of a lifetime with your host of the Martin Strap Show Podcast Hour, me, yeah, idiot. Welcome everybody to the Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour. This is episode number one hundred and forty, and this is also uh, the the second of three episodes that I am recording uh, this week. Uh, I, I made you a promise a couple of days ago that, uh, in response to going uh, two just a little bit over two weeks without an episode, that I would make up for it, and I would actually record and post three episodes this week. So this is the second of those three episodes. Now the first of those three episodes was episode number 139. and that episode was primarily about uh, my very dear friend Jared Rivera and I, I spoke a little bit about Jared in the context of uh, uh, well of, of the past election, the, the past election that that saw uh, Donald J. Trump become the president-elect of the United States. And uh, and during the course of that episode, I, I read two essays that I'd written um, at, at Jared's request uh, a few years back when he was the executive director of LA Voice. Uh, the first essay was called Found in Translation. The second essay was called The Business of Hope. And what I neglected to do, embarrassingly, is give credit to the beautiful music that was playing while I was reading those essays. So that was an oversight on my part that I would like to correct now. So the 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 music that was called Bather Beach Blues Fremantle on Laps Light Guitar. It was written, performed, and played by Mike DeVelta. Beautiful music which um, I, I actually listened back to the episode uh, uh, yesterday, I believe. And and uh, and quite frankly, uh, that music I feel made me sound uh, way cooler than uh, than I usually feel when I'm, when I'm actually reading. So I think that's going to become my new trick: is just finding really cool slide guitar music to play uh, behind me while I'm reading, and then just all of a sudden, everything I read is is elevated, I, I guess. So anyway, also by the way, I've gotten some really really nice responses to. To episode number 139, which which means a lot to me, and uh, so I really appreciate it. So thank you guys for your feedback, thank you for listening, and of course, thank you for being here for episode number 140. Now also, at the beginning of episode number 139, and I promise we're going to move forward with this episode, but you know, this is all relevant moving forward, I referenced my buddy Gary, who, uh, uh, Gary Lopez, uh, another friend of mine, who who you know he noticed he was one of the people who noticed that I hadn't posted an episode and he he kind of called me out on it and so he and I were talking yesterday and he asked me he said are you are you actually going to do three episodes this week and I said absolutely and then of course I followed that up with I have no idea what I what else I'm going to talk about but you know, I'll probably think of something. And Gary said, "I've got plenty of ideas." And of course, you know, because I had no ideas, I was open to hearing whatever he had to say. So I said, "Sure, what's one of your ideas?" And he said, "Well, you could talk about uh, books that get made into movies." And I loved it. It was, you know, it was, it was, it was uh, simple and it was elegant but it was perfect because it fits right into the the overall theme of what uh, this this podcast is about which is books and writing and publishing and storytelling and movies and comic books and, and all all things of that nature and so of course of course it made sense why haven't i already spent time talking about books that get made into movies but not just any books um books that i that i've actually read and enjoyed that also got made into movies that i enjoyed um, although what what you're going to find out as I go into this, in some cases I, I you know I, I I saw the movie first and read the book later. But at any rate, I put to, I put together a list of ten books and ten movies, which um which, which basically which, which what you know books that I enjoyed that led to movies that I also enjoyed. Um, and that's that's what today's episode is about. Now here's what I'm not certain about. Uh, I don't know if uh, I'm gonna get through the entire list in this episode. We're gonna see, uh, I guess, I, 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 we're gonna find out together how much I actually have to say about these books and these movies. I'm just gonna wing it a little bit, you know, with my with my list in front of me. But if I get through the whole list um, inside of an hour or so, then then that's cool. And then then uh, then I'll figure out something else for the next episode. However. However, if uh, if I end up talking for a, essentially a, a full episode, an hour or so, uh, and I haven't quite finished the list, then then you know, if I'm halfway through, then I'll then I'll split it up into part two. But but again, I really I we're gonna we're gonna find out together. I have no idea. So so there there you have it. Um, I, I guess I should also mention that this list of books slash movies is in no particular order uh i i almost okay so I, I, if there's any order at all what i did is um i i went to my bookshelf and i literally just looked over the books and made a list of the books on the shelf that were also made into movies and then uh then i narrowed that list down to the books on my bookshelf that were made into movies that uh, that I loved, because I didn't want to just talk about books that were made into movies in general, but maybe I didn't like the movie that much. Uh, I wanted it to be both. I wanted to have actually enjoyed the book, and I wanted to have also enjoyed the movie, and that's that's what this list uh, is ultimately about. So, so, should we get started? Let's go ahead and get started. All right. So again, no particular order. I feel like I need to stress that because I don't want you. To, I don't want you to start to feel like this is going to be a, a countdown of any sort. It's just whatever. All right, good. We're all properly calibrated for for this fun, fun list. All right. So number one on the list, and no particular order, is Life of Pi. Life of Pi, written by uh, an author named Yann Martel, and it was published by Mariner Books in May of 2003. Here is a synopsis for Life of Pi. The son of a zookeeper, Pi Patel has an encyclopedic knowledge of animal behavior and a fervent love of stories. When Pi is 16, his family immigrates from India to North America aboard a Japanese cargo ship along with their zoo animals bound for new homes. The ship sinks. Pye finds himself alone in a lifeboat, his only companions a hyena, an orangutan, a wounded zebra, and Richard Parker, a 450-pound Bengal tiger. Soon the tiger has dispatched all but Pye, whose fear, knowledge, and cunning allow him to coexist with Richard Parker for 227 days. While lost at sea When they finally reach the coast of Mexico Richard Parker flees to the jungle Never to be seen again The Japanese authorities Who interrogate Pai Refuse to believe his story And press him to tell them The truth After hours of coercion Pai tells a second story A story much less fantastical Much more conventional But is it More true? So, Life of Pi came out in two thousand and three. I don't think I, I, I'm, I'm almost certain I didn't read it in two thousand and three, but I probably read it a few years after that. It was actually recommended to me by uh, another friend of mine, Marcos, who um, uh, who also listens to the show. So, um, uh, so so, Marcos, there you go. Thank thank you for recommending Life of Pi about uh, ten or twelve years ago, or whenever it was, because I loved it. In fact, if, if for all I remember, I probably read marcos's copy of the book i'm sure i'm sure he must have loaned it to me because he really wanted me to read it um but i did i loved it and it, it was a book that i i think even as i was reading it i i couldn't imagine i couldn't really imagine the movie being made of it because I, I i sort of feel like that's kind of sort of um a natural thing a little bit i think uh at least for me anyway when, when i'm reading a book uh, that uh, I, I sort of, I, I like to imagine, you know, if this could be made into a, into a movie or if it were made into a movie, would it be, you know, would, would it make for a good adaptation? And, and Life of Pi was, it was, um, it, it was, it was one of the, for me, it was, it was a relatively, it was kind of a rare book where I absolutely loved it and I couldn't imagine a, a movie being made of it. And not even just for the obvious part, because in retrospect, the obvious part is, uh, the, the the majority of the book has two characters. You have the main character of of Pi, who's a you know, a, a, you know teenager, and you have a four hundred and fifty pound Bengal tiger named Richard Parker, and these are the two primary characters. So so really, and they're and they're trapped together on a boat. Like, how do you actually make that movie? And I suspect. Um, that was probably the reason that the movie didn't quite get made right away because that's, that's, that's sort of a difficult, uh, a difficult problem to solve. But the problem was ultimately solved by one of our greatest living filmmakers, and his name is Ang Lee. And Ang Lee directed uh, his adaptation of Life of Pi in 2012. And, uh, and that movie went on to win a, a couple of uh, Academy Awards, including uh, Ang Lee won for uh, Best Director, I believe. Uh, and I forget the other awards it won, but um, that one I feel pretty confident if I'm going to count on my memory, but either way, either way. Uh, and, and when I saw it, it was, um, I, I saw it, well, I saw it in 2012, but I saw it as part of the uh, Oscar showcase that uh, Chanel and I like to do. Every year at the AMC theaters, when uh, the Oscar uh, Oscars or uh, the Oscar awards, the Academy Awards uh, come out with their nominations, and it's it's generally uh, anywhere between something like uh, six and ten movies. It's usually around eight or nine. Uh, there's there's no rhyme or reason as to when some years are ten and others are eight, but at any rate, at any rate, uh, this was one of those movies and i was so looking forward to watching it but i, I also wanted it, i wanted to see it as part of the showcase cuz i wanted it to uh, i so so as best as i could I, I i avoided it in the theaters in the hopes that it would get nominated for an academy award so that i could later see it in the showcase i was basically gambling that it'd be part of the showcase but i ended up gambling correctly and it was part of the showcase so i got to watch it as part of this this uh huge two-day movie marathon. In fact, if you've never heard uh, Chanel and I talk about the Oscar showcase, it, it takes place on two consecutive Saturdays where all the Academy Award-nominated movies, they're, they're split in half. So you watch half the nominees on one Saturday, watch half the other day, and it's these two epic days of like 12, 14 hours of watching movies with like 10, 15 minutes in between movies, except for a lunch break, right around, well, maybe more of a dinner break. Anyway, so that's how that's how I saw a uh, life of pi but even before i saw it uh, i wanted chanel to be as excited about it as i was and at this point i had my own copy of life of pi so i i'm sure i'd given marcos back his copy of the book but now i had my my own copy of the book and so uh so what what ended up happening is every night in bed i would read life of pi to chanel like not beginning to end but you know i started at the beginning and i would just read from life of pi and and I read to her every night in bed until uh, until we until we finished the book together. And so for me, it was a, it was really cool because you know I I got to remember what the book was about because because I know, you know like when I read a book, um, I, I I almost always only ever read a book once because I, I read very slowly. So for me to read a book more than once would take way too much time. I'd rather read a new book. So 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 I read so when I read Life of Pi years ago, I remembered loving it. But, you know, there was a lot about it that I really didn't remember. So it was actually a really nice experience to rediscover the book. And then I also got to enjoy the book with Chanel because I got to, you know, experience her enjoying the book. And then as we were reading the book, we got more and more excited about the movie. And then once the book was done, could not wait for the movie to come out. So we saw the movie together at the Oscar showcase directed by Ang Lee. And there was a part of me that worried that I had, I had gotten my hopes a little bit too high. Like, what, what if, what if this ultimately didn't deliver? And it turned out that the opposite was true. Not only did it deliver, but it it borderline over delivered. I absolutely loved the movie, absolutely loved it. And uh, Ang Lee, because amongst other things, amongst his uh, many many virtues as a filmmaker and a storyteller uh he's uh very visually uh a creative. uh creative that that wasn't that that's not I, I don't i don't think that properly expressed what i would like to say but but essentially he knows how to show you really really amazing things and especially with this book um he found ways to, to express things about this book that weren't necessarily in the book themselves, in itself, but it felt very much a part of the book. And so he 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 definitely found a way to uh, express this book in a very unique way on film, but it was still a, a very loyal adaptation of the book. So, So I really, really, really loved the movie. Uh Ang Lee, as far as uh, his his resume goes, he's made several movies. But um in 1997, he made The Ice Storm, which is a really great movie. And and of course, now that I'm now that I think about it, The Ice Storm was also based on one of my very favorite books, also called The Ice Storm. The the author, right? The second escapes me, so I'm a little embarrassed about that. But really, one of my in fact, I loved that book so much. That while I don't generally read books twice, the Ice Storm is one of those books that sometimes I'll just pick it up and just read random passages because that's how much I love the book and that's how much I love the writing in that particular book. Uh, Ang Lee uh, became—I don't know—I don't know if it's fair to say he became most famous, but he certainly earned uh, mainstream notoriety at the very least in North America with his movie Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which, which was in the, the year two thousand. Um, also, a uh, nominee and won several Academy Awards. In two thousand and three, Angley made Hulk, which was the you know the the Marvel superhero, the Incredible Hulk, and you know whatever for for better or for worse. I I still love Angley movies, but I don't know that it was disappointing, and it I, I'm I'm certain that Hulk has its fans, but um I I I don't know that it's uh the first movie Angley talks about at uh, at cocktail parties when he's um you know talking about his his uh his, his his resume of movies. And it's certainly not uh it's certainly not a movie that Marvel or Marvel Studios spends any amount of time uh remembering. So, you know, as far as as far as uh, Marvel's concern they, you know, you know, Mark Ruffalo is, is the Hulk, and he is one of the Avengers, and that's all you need to know. As far, in fact, Marvel Studios probably wishes they had that uh, that magic memory stick in Men in Black, and they could just wave it over everybody's head, and they would all forget Angley's adaptation of Hulk. But whatever, it was. I mean, it was fine. It, it wasn't. It, it it's, it's not that it was like a bad movie. There's been. Many comic book adaptations that uh, that I enjoyed far far less than Hulk, um, Ant Man, for example. If I had to pick one movie to watch again, Ant Man or Hulk, I would I would pick the Hulk or Hulk. I don't I don't think the is part of the title. But Ang Lee also uh, also you know with uh, uh, another movie he was famous for is Brokeback Mountain in two thousand and five, and so and one of the great things about Ang Lee too is. Is he so diverse, right? So, so Brokeback Mountain, this uh, period Western about uh, two homosexual men who lived in a time uh, where you know they were these rugged cowboys who who couldn't who couldn't be who they were, so they had to live their lives in secret. And then he does the Hulk, Hulk, a comic book adaptation. Then he does Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, this fantastical martial arts movie with with the uh, with, with you know with 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 fantasy and and romance and then he does the ice storm which is um the story about uh, a, an american family in the 70s um the the, the 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 mom and dad going through their marital strife the the teenagers trying to figure out how to exist in, in this world and then there's you know key parties and swinging i don't know if the swinging actually happened but it was certainly talked about anyway uh The Ice Storm it's wonderful great movie great book Ang Lee. so so yeah now 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 that it's done I can't imagine anybody else making life of pi except Ang Lee so there you go first first book to movie on my list Life of Pi now number 2 on my list Silver Linings Playbook and if if you're like me then you didn't actually know that this was a movie based on a book you just probably thought it was just a new movie coming out but one thing that I like to do it's not even something that I like to do it's just something that I'm very hyper aware of when I'm watching a movie is I, I you know I like the opening credits and I like seeing the names involved especially up front you know who if I don't know the director ahead of time, I'd like to see what their name is. Uh, Particularly if I don't know the writer ahead of time, I'm I'm curious to see what their name is, especially if it's a movie I end up enjoying. I want to know these things. So, you know, I I could see other movies that this director and or writer has done. Uh, But then, of course, uh, in so doing, I will also discover, oh, this this, this was a movie based on a book. Who knew? I had no idea. So Silver Linings Playbook was... It, that that was the experience. I went to see it because uh, I really loved the the director and I really loved the actors in the movie. And then you know found out it was based on a book. So so there you have it. So here is uh well well for uh, I'll give you a synopsis in just a second. But um, the movie is called Silver Linings Playbook. The book is called The Silver Linings Playbook. So similar to Hulk having no the in this case Silver Linings Playbook has a the in front of it. For whoever's keeping score, so the, the the novel was written by an author named Matthew Quick. This was his debut novel. It was published by Sarah Crichton Books in October of 2012. So, um, the the book actually only came out just a couple years ago, uh, and uh, you know, very um very very quick uh, translation into movies. Where Life of Pi, there was nearly a, a decade in between the book and the movie. And sometimes you can uh, kind of get lucky, like Matthew Quick, where you put out the book and the, the movie is hot on its tail. So so here's a synopsis for the Silver Linings playbook. Also, I, I feel like I should mention all of these synopses are about the book, not the actual movie. But, you know, because one, because the movie is adapted from the book, they generally are going to, you know, help each other out. So Silver Linings playbook. Meet Pat Peoples. Pat has a theory. His life is a movie produced by God, and his God-given mission is to become physically fit and emotionally literate, whereupon God will ensure him a happy ending, the return of his estranged wife, Nikki. It might not come as a surprise to learn that Pat has spent several years in a mental health facility. The problem is, Pat's now home, and everything feels off. No one will talk to him about Nikki. His beloved Philadelphia Eagles keep losing. He's being pursued by the deeply odd Tiffany. His new therapist seems to recommend adultery as a form of therapy. Plus, he's being haunted by Kenny G. So the Silver Linings playbook, I I eventually read the book. I read the book uh, not long after I saw the movie. But the movie itself, so it was directed by David O. Russell, and, uh, and and he directed that movie in 2012. And as far as my own personal list of favorites go, Silver Linings Playbook was an instant classic. It is one of my very, very favorite movies. It is one of my most reliably enjoyable movies. I can put that movie on anytime time and watch it beginning to end and enjoy it. And Chanel's the exact same way. She loves it every bit as much as I do. And so there, there's been days where... And we've seen it countless times. I have no idea how many times we've watched it. But there's been days where, you know, maybe it's a weekend. Maybe it's a Saturday afternoon. Maybe there's not much going on. And uh, I'll I'll just put it on. I won't, even t- I won't even tell Chanel I'm putting it on. She might just be, like, on the couch reading a comic book or something. And I'll just put the movie on. And I know as soon as it starts... It's gonna get her attention because you know, like the, the the movie score will come in, and then you hear the voice of Bradley Cooper, who plays the the character of Pat, and you hear him uh, in in the voiceover. He's reading a, a letter that he's written to his estranged wife, and then you don't know right away, but you find out that he's reading this letter from uh, the the mental institution that uh, that that he's uh, very soon will be released from, and is. As soon as uh, you, you know, we hear Bradley Cooper's voice and the music and the voiceover, we are completely and just love this movie. And then Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence—they just—I don't know what crazy magic mojo happens when they're together. But I will watch as many movies as they want to make together because they are just lovely together, absolutely lovely. And David O. Russell, David O. Russell is. He's he's one of my favorite filmmakers just by virtue of so many of the movies that are on my list of movies that I love to watch over and over again. He made he made the very first well not the first movie of his I, the first movie of his that I saw was Flirting with Disaster I forget what year that came out but the movie of his that you know put him on the map as far as as far as a filmmaker that I wanted to keep track of was Three Kings which uh, which came out in 1999. And I, I remember I saw that movie with with my brother Aaron, and it was a, uh, it was sort of a la- he invited me sort of at the last minute to watch it, uh, if I remember correctly. Um, I, f- I feel I f- I feel like he might have been on a on a date or something, which in retrospect would be kind of weird for him to to invite me to the movies. But uh, you know, who knows? Maybe I was just like home, looking uh, bored or sad or something. So he uh, invited me to come along. And so I left going to the movie, so I, I I was up for it. I didn't really care to watch this movie, Three Kings, because I'd seen a couple of uh, previews on TV, and it was some sort of a some sort of a war movie that took place during the uh, the the what the, not not yeah you know, the, the the war Desert Storm that that uh, that Iraq war not the not the current one that uh, that America has been in for the last hundred years or so. I s- swear that war is probably not going to end. In our lifetimes, but uh, but it starred George Clooney, Ice Cube, Mark Wahlberg, and Spike Jones, who um, I would later learn uh, is a, a wonderful, wonderful filmmaker who's made some really, really great movies that are also on my list of movies that I can watch over and over again, including Bean John Malkovich, which is one of my very favorites. Uh, so Three Kings in 1999, love, love that movie, uh, and then. Uh, about 11 years later in 2010 David O Russell made a movie called The Fighter again I'm teaming up once again with Mark Wahlberg. Absolutely adore that movie The Fighter. It's another one that I could watch over and over again. A couple years later in 2013 he made American Hustle, which is a movie that I like a lot. I like I it's not uh, when I think of David O Russell movies it's not it's not a movie that jumps to the top of my list but I like it a lot and I kind of feel like he was almost a victim of his own success because by the time American Hustle had come out, um, he had made The Fighter and he'd done Silver Linings Playbook, and they were, you know, about two years apart. So he had, and they were huge hits. They were, they were, they were crowd pleasers, and they made a bunch of money. So they were huge hits. And then American Hustle came out like the next year after after Silver Linings Playbook. Like I don't, I don't think David David o. Russell must not have taken a, a day off, and so. It just seemed like everything he did, he could do no wrong. And so with American Hustle, uh, it was a little bit more. Just I, I I don't know what it was. I don't want to say it was more complex than his other movies. Um, I I guess maybe a little bit, but it's not that it's a hard movie to follow. But uh, I I really enjoyed it. But it's it's definitely not the the crowd pleaser. That uh, the fighter was and, and uh, Silver Linings Playbook, but I still enjoyed it. And um, I'll, I'll, in fact, you know what? I'll, I'm going to watch it again very soon. And I'll, if I remember, I'll I'll tell you how I felt about it. Uh, and then last year, at uh, at uh, right around Christmas time, 2015, he came out with his movie Joy. So teaming up again with uh, Jennifer Lawrence, who's become a bit of a muse of his. She was in American Hustle, of course. She won the Academy Award for Best Actress in Silver Linings Playbook, and then she. Start and enjoy actually every movie that she's been in with david o' russell she's been nominated for an academy Award, so I mean she's amazing she's wonderfully talented, but he he certainly seems to to have cracked the code of how to how to uh, unlock her very best performances because you know. She she does really great stuff in his movies. So Silver Linings Playbook. The book itself, I I also enjoyed very much. And this this is a book that I read after I saw the movie. I think I kind of sort of made that clear, but uh, I enjoyed the book very much. Uh, the the first half of the book, for the most part, lines up very closely with the movie. But then the like the second half of the book is. Um not so much that it's different from the movie but well here's the thing so uh if, if you've seen the movie well this is not exactly a spoiler but if you've not seen the movie this doesn't spoil anything but I'll, I'll I won't give anything crucial away but um uh the the the, the big the big dramatic crowd pleasing climax of Silver Linings Playbook and it um it's it involves a dance competition where the the character of uh of Pat and and Tiffany um they enter this dance competition which also is sort of the the culmination of this very sort of uh <laughs> this very sort of offbeat love story that we see unfolding but you know where where tiffany seems to have a lot of affection for pat pat seemingly has affection for tiffany but he's trying desperately to get his his estranged wife back so he's sort of not paying attention to as much as he can the feelings that he's developing for for this for this woman tiffany and it all culminates in this in this dance competition and when you watch the movie it's perfect it's perfect it's lovely it's beautiful and in the book the, the dance competition exists in the book but it's not a big deal and it happens about halfway through the book and then it's over and the book keeps going. So I remember thinking, Oh, well that was, that's, that's weird. Even though it's not because I mean the, the movie came out after the book, the movie is the one that clearly decided to do it differently. But you know, I, and, and in fact, here's, here's that maybe this is telling. I, I don't really remember entirely how the book and I don't really remember what happens after that because in my mind, the, the, the canon is is uh, is is the movie but um i remember some things like i remember the uh the 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 character of tiffany in the book was um so in the movie well whatever i i don't know there's no reason to get too detailed but i was going to say like in the movie she's embraced a little bit more by pat's family where uh in the book she becomes a little bit outcast because of some of the You know, essentially what they see is her doing things to hurt Pat, whatever. At this point, I feel like now I'm just getting into small details that if you haven't seen the movie or read the book, then they're going to be pointless to you. So I won't get too deep into that. But anyway, that was the second book on my list, book to movie on my list, The Silver Linings Playbook. Number three on my list, again, in no particular order. It just happens to be the book that I saw on my shelf, and this is the order that uh, that I wrote it down in. And it is Election by Tom Parada. It was published by Berkeley, Berkeley Books, I believe. And it came out in October of 1998. And so here is the synopsis for Election. Tracy Flick wants to be president of Wynwood High. She's one of those ambitious girls who finds time to do it all. Edit the yearbook, star in the musical, sleep with her English teacher. But another teacher, staunch idealist Jim McAllister, a.k.a. Mr. M., thinks the students deserve better. So he persuades Paul Warren, a well-liked, good-hearted jock, to throw in his hat. But that puts Paul's sister Tammy in a snit, so she runs, too, on an apathy platform before starting a real campaign to get herself kicked out of school. Tammy's upset because her secret, forbidden love has been lured away by her own brother. Tracy's upset because losing this election might screw up her college chances. Mr. M's upset because ever since he embarked on his own extramarital affair, his life's been falling apart. As for Paul, well, he's not sure what's going on. The whole idea was to educate the students at this suburban New Jersey school in the democratic process and the American way. But with all the sex scandals, smear campaigns, and behind-the-scenes power brokers at Winwood High, it doesn't look as if they need any lessons. So that's the book, uh, Election, by Tom Parada. And Tom Parada, actually, he's a... Uh, wonderful writer. I would I would one of my favorites. I I haven't read all of his books, but I've read a couple of them. Election is one of them. Uh another of his books, in fact, my favorite of his books, it's called Little Children and that was also made into a really really wonderful movie. And it's also another one where I saw the movie first and read the book second, but um I I love both. The, the movie is just outstanding, but the book Little Children really 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 wonderful and it has one of my very favorite endings that i've ever ever read in a book and it's not even necessarily about like the story itself and what happens at the end but it's how he ends it like as an author the way that the 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 the, the words that he found perfectly perfectly mirrored what you know, what need, what was happening emotionally with with this character, and the, you know that, but whatever, fuck it, it's wonderful. It, it actually had a, a significant effect on my first book, Inside the Outside, and really every book I've written since then, because basically every book I now write, and from now until the the end of time, my goal is to write an ending that makes other people feel the way that little children made me feel when I got to the end of it. So. Um, and, and look, I'm not even talking about that. That probably should be on the list. Fuck me for not having it on my list. And also, spoiler, it's not on my list, but it should have been. But right now I'm talking about Election, which is also a really wonderful book. And uh, it's again, again, it's another one where I didn't read the book until after I'd seen the movie. And even still, it was years later. The movie, uh, Election, was directed by Alexander Payne in 1999. So it came out uh, just a b a a year after the book came out. And this book, if I, if I remember correctly, the movie, it was like an MTV movies production. I don't know if MTV makes movies anymore, but there was a time when they were kind of uh, getting into the, uh, the 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 movie business. And I'm, I'm pretty sure this was one of them. And th- this was the movie that put Ree- Reese Witherspoon on the map in a big, big way. She played the the character of Tracy Flick. And she was wonderful. Matthew Brodwick played the character of Jim McAllister, Mr. M. And in, in the book the book uh l- like the movie reads as just uh, a pitch perfect parody of american politics which uh which which you know is is apropos given that uh we're just now just like a week and a half removed from uh, a, a monumental presidential election here in uh, in the u.s with the which had uh donald trump by the skin of his teeth uh beating hillary clinton and uh uh, and winning the winning the election, and and so so the the book itself and the movie itself, you know, you watch them and and and, and they really it's it's um it's a satire, right? It's it's it, it's a satire of of the actual uh, American political system, but seen through a uh, high school presidential election, and and again uh rife with uh, you know scandals and sex and and backstabbing and 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 mud and all of it for you know uh, everybody who's trying to to win this election they're all trying to win the election for 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 reasons that have nothing to do with actually wanting to be the the the, the school president like they have all these ulterior motives and none of them have anything to do with actually wanting to be president. And how appropriate is that? How how appropriate is that for uh for this election that that just that just passed. Now, Alexander Payne, another one of my uh favorite filmmakers. And again, it, it's because, you know, some of my very favorite movies were made by him. Uh in 2004, he made uh, a movie called Sideways, which I absolutely love that's a, actually you know what that's actually another movie that was uh, based on a novel it was adapted from a novel i haven't read the novel that uh, you know sideways it's it, i'm pretty sure it's got the same name one of these days i'm i'm sure i'll read it but i, I haven't read that one yet in 2009 alexander Payne, uh, he was the executive producer and i don't know if he was the creator but he was the executive producer of a really great tv show that was on hbo called hung that was in 2009 uh i think it was on for uh three seasons two or three seasons it um it got canceled i don't don't know if the the ratings weren't there i I don't know how hbo decides what shows to keep or which shows to uh to cancel one of my very favorite shows of all time was called hello ladies and hbo canceled it after one season i have no idea why because it was fucking brilliant but whatever what are you gonna do and and it's it's not the worst thing in the world. Sometimes, if if we, when one of my favorite TV shows is on for one season, then it gets canceled, then I just regard it like a really great book, as opposed to like a series of books. It's just a great novel that I can go back to when, whenever I want to. But anyway, so so hung, a uh, great show about a high school uh, high school teacher. Um, can't remember if he's a I think he's a PE teacher, history teacher. I don't know, whatever it is. But anyway, um, he's uh, he's divorced and uh money's tight and it's sort of it's also kind of reflects the uh the the difficult economy especially in 2009 because uh, right around that time is when the, there was a the huge uh, when the when basically the the economy took a took a big fat shit and jobs were lost and uh industries were collapsing and uh, the housing market uh you know flew away to the moon or you know wherever it went and so so anyway, so we've got this teacher is trying to figure out uh how to how to get by and so he he ends up uh finding himself uh as a being being a prostitute, uh, primarily because he is both uh, uh handsome and charming, uh for, for at the very least for uh a PE teacher, I guess. And he has a huge cock. And so that, that sort of becomes his, his calling card. So the show's called Hung and it's outstanding. Alexander Payne uh, also made a, a terrific movie called The Descendants in 2011 which uh, was nominated for uh, uh, at least a few Academy Awards and uh, it's also a movie that it was a, a bit of a vehicle for George Clooney who um, George Clooney is one of my very favorite actors so so you, so, you don't have to convince me that George Clooney is wonderful but I sort of felt like in some ways The Descendants was a little bit of it it was it was uh, it, it, you could argue that it was the movie that put george clooney over the top in terms of being regarded as a a really a really wonderful actor as opposed to a movie star which you know um they're they're not always the same right you can be a movie star and a terrible actor and you can be a wonderful actor but never quite be a movie star so george clooney is a wonderful actor but he's also very famous the tabloids love him but uh, the descendants, he uh, he gave a wonderful performance, and he was nominated for it, and um, and so you know Alexander Payne was was behind that, and actually incidentally, just as a little bit of trivia, uh, George Clooney had previously wanted to work with Alexander Payne in the movie Sideways, and he wanted to play the uh, the, the the sidekick to Paul Giamatti was the star of the movie. Um, what was I think uh, Thomas Hayden Church? I, I'm sort of just pulling that one out of the air, but I think that was the actor's name either way, um the the co-star in sideways is wonderful who who played alongside uh, Paul Giamatti uh George Clooney wanted that role and uh and Alexander Payne um fought for and got uh Thomas Hayden church fuck I hope I'm not getting his name wrong um and 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 so and that and that's saying something because I mean George Clooney, like I said, is a big fucking star. And Alexander Payne, I am sure it was nothing personal to George Clooney. He just he saw something in uh, in the other actor, and that's that's who he wanted. But anyway, Clooney got to work with Alexander, Alexander Payne eventually in The Descendants, and you know ended up working out for the best. And then in twenty thirteen, Alexander Payne made yet another wonderful movie. It's called Nebraska. If you have not seen it. Go watch it. So it's um just a just a lovely, lovely movie and I can't remember anybody's names in there, but um I can see their faces. I can see their faces, like there's the one guy who used to be on Saturday Night Live and then uh he did some spots on Thirty Rock and uh now he's the star of the last man on earth on, on Fox. And see, I love his work. I just can't think of his name. I'm terrible with names. If you guys don't know that about me yet, then this is as good a time as any. Anyway, Nebraska, lovely, lovely movie. Another one nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards. So, so yeah. So those, those. That's Alexander Payne's resume. And then, uh, then you know, in in the 1999, made Election, just a really great movie. So that was movie number three, number four, number four on my list in no particular order, is Fight Club. Fight Club, uh, written by Chuck Palahniuk. I, I think I accidentally called him Juck. But in a way, that's kind of a cool name. I might try to remember that for uh, for maybe, maybe a future novel or something. Juck, J-U-C-K. I like that. But this author, his name is Chuck, Chuck Palahniuk. And Fight Club was published by W.W. Norton in October of 2005, and here's a synopsis. In his debut novel, Chuck Palahniuk showed himself to be his generation's most visionary satirist. Fight Club's estranged narrator leaves his lackluster job when he comes under the thrall of Tyler Durden, an enigmatic young man who holds secret boxing matches in the basement of bars. These two men fight as long as they have to. A gloriously original work that exposes what is at the core of our modern world. And the the movie Fight Club, which is more famous than the book, only because movies generally tend to be more famous than, than books, was directed by, again, another of my favorite filmmakers. His name is David Fincher, and he made Fight Club in 1999. I knew the book... I knew that. So when I was reading you the the publication year, I knew that was incorrect. That that sounded way off. So I don't know where two thousand five came from, uh, but but give me just a second because now I now I need to know what the the actual year is. I, I'll guess it was like nineteen ninety five. I, I believe that's when the the novel actually came out, but I'll let you know in just a second. Uh, according to wikipedia it came out in august of 1996 so all right there you go um fuck where the fuck did i get 2005 from anyway whatever doesn't matter maybe it was like a like a re-release or something like a special edition at any rate okay so the movie came out in 1996 that's cool um i said the movie and i see so now i'm flustered because i hate getting uh release dates wrong because you know because uh, they they matter they matter to me anyway so fight club uh, it's another movie that i saw before i read the book and i'm not even certain that i knew that it was based on a book i this this i think this was one that maybe slipped through the cracks i didn't actually know it was a book right away it's also one where i liked the movie but i didn't love it uh, I remember watching the movie and feeling like I really loved two thirds of the movie, and then I didn't really enjoy the 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 third act, so to speak. And in part, it was because of the 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 big the big twist, which even though the movie itself at this point is uh, seventeen years old. Wow, that's crazy to think about. But okay, so yeah, Fight Club is 17 years old. In all likelihood, it's it's you probably know the big twist in Fight Club, but I'm not a fan of spoilers, so I'm not going to say it because there's every possibility that somebody's listening to this who hasn't seen Fight Club, and the uh, the big plot twist has not been ruined for them. So I won't ruin it. Suffice to say, when I saw the movie, I almost felt like it didn't really work. I wasn't sure why they did that. And then years later, when I read the book, it it worked better in the book for me. Although, by the same token, when I read the book, I already knew the plot twist because I'd seen the movie. So it was a very interesting experience to read the book knowing what the author was doing. And it was actually very impressive to see him managing this, this, this plot twist that was brewing and seeing how he balanced it, Chuck, Chuck Palahniuk being the author. So I I didn't actually discover it was uh, I didn't discover it was a book. It, it was actually it, if it wasn't the same year in 1999, then it was uh, the year 2000 because I I, cause I discovered the book at the Virgin Megastore where um, that was the uh, that was the last time that I worked at the mall was when I worked at the Virgin Megastore. And uh, they so they had a, they had a small book section. It was mostly mostly a music store, and they had a, a movie section, and they had a small book section where they had novels and comic books and stuff like that, magazines. And so I was walking through, and I saw Fight Club. It was just it was on um one of those like I don't know what you'd call it, but uh, like an island, which which is meant to display shit that the store wants you to see. And so Fight Club was up there. And so, so it sort of caught my eye because I had no idea it was a book, and this was also about the time where I was, uh, you know, probably like two or three years into my my uh, my endeavors into trying to learn how to write, and I uh, eventually you know, wanting to be a writer and and a novelist. So I was reading a lot. I was, um, because I, I, because I, you know, one thing that I've talked about the show on the show before in the past is. I didn't really and truly read my first book until I was 18 years old, and that was in 1996. And so then following that, I was always trying to kind of catch up. So I was reading a lot in large part because I wanted to catch up on all the reading that I hadn't done, you know, from <laughs> before I was 18. So um, so I saw the book Bike Club, and, I, and I'd i seen the movie, of course, and so I was, I was very curious. So I picked it up and, just in the store and uh, just read the first couple of pages, and I was just – totally blown away i was i just just uh the the, the voice and the narrative and then and, and the words just jumped off the page and they completely captivated my imagination i was i just couldn't believe that there was this really wonderful book that uh nobody had told me about and they i was i had to discover it by walking through the mall and i didn't buy it right away in large part because i didn't really have a whole lot of money to spend in in 1999 but what i did do is when i did see uh books that i wanted to read i would um i would go home and get on the internet and go onto like ebay or half.com and try to find uh an inexpensive copy if maybe i could find a book for like a penny and then just pay the the shipping charges which um i don't do anymore now because i i can afford to buy books now so so i like to buy new books because that way that the author uh, can can get something from it. I know that now. I, I now understand that when you buy a used book, the author doesn't see any of that money. I learned that lesson the hard way, but that's not important. Uh, so anyway, loved Fight Club. Loved the book. I loved it so much that uh, I would eventually go back and watch the movie. And uh, and now I can watch the movie, and I and and I love it. Uh, and and. I, 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 I love the movie primarily because it is for me it's it's colored by the experience of of reading the book. When I watched the movie without the book, it wasn't the same experience for me. That said, the movie was a has a huge cult following, so there's plenty of people who love the movie who've probably never read the book. So I'm just I, you yeah, know, whatever, it's my experience. Um I love the book so much that uh in my former life when I was a college professor, there was one semester where I just just for just kind of for fun and to sort of uh make the semester a, a little bit more interesting and to try something different, uh I put Fight Club on my on my syllabus and uh and spent uh like half the semester reading Fight Club with the class and, and coming to class and talking about it and analyzing it. And it was really sort of a, just a fun sort of you know selfish thing for me because I love the book, so it kind of gave me an excuse to to read and think about it and talk about it. But I was also kind of curious to see um, you know what the what the students would think of it. And if I remember correctly, uh, none of the students had previously read it, so they were all reading it for the first time. And of course, you know, it's school, so I know that they all didn't read it. But but for those students who did actually do their homework and read you know read the and I didn't I didn't assign the book all at one time like I broke it down into you know two or three chapters at a time and they would read it and then we would show up to class they would do uh you know they were broken up into small groups each group would get a section of the book they would do a presentation on it we would talk about it anyway whatever there's no reason to, to get into my teaching methods unless you really really want to but even if you want me to you don't have the ability to say so just now so i'll just keep going on with this list that said they loved it by and large they loved it and we had really great discussions and 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 you know talking about the book and analyzing it and engaging in in a, this wonderful classroom discussions about it it made me love it even more and it gave me you know it helped me see the book in different ways i got to hear their opinions i got to share my opinions it was great, and then at the end of the semester, during the final, because I when I was a, when I was a college professor, I never gave a final because I fucking hate tests and I don't believe in them, so I never gave a final. So uh, during the allotted time where I was supposed to actually give a final, um, we watched the movie Fight Club. So that was sort of the, uh, the the punctuation of the of the semester. We read the book, we talked about it, and then we watched the movie. And I remember the whole time that we were reading the book, um, I kept worrying that somebody was going to ruin the. Uh, the plot twist that they were going to read ahead, or they would accidentally talk about it, and there was once or twice where it kind of came up in class, but um, ultimately, I, I, I don't think anybody was was affected. They might not have even even noticed. But um, so yes, there's Fight Club. Now, David Fincher, he's made so many movies that uh, that I that I really love. Um, one of my very favorite all-time movies he made in 1995, 1995 called Seven. I think I was going to say 1997 because I was thinking about the title. The movie's called Seven. It came out in 1995. And that movie, I remember specifically, that was like, I saw that movie right at the cusp of when I was trying to, when I was first endeavoring to be a writer. And I remember watching this movie and just being blown away by the story and the characters and sort of what this movie did and how it made me feel and it just felt like this like like a magic act. Like I like I felt like like watching that in, in terms of the story unfolding made me feel the way that I that I currently feel when I watch a David Blaine special that I see him doing just like crazy shit and I just have no idea how he did this amazing thing that made me feel like this amazing wonder. So so I used to watch Seven over and over again in the hopes that I might kind of Unlocked the code and there were some days when i would actually put it on in the background while i was trying to write a story hoping that somehow the magic of seven would would uh would leak out into my brain it didn't but um but you know i i, I adore that movie seven uh 2010 david fincher made the social network which is another movie that i really really love in 2013, he was the executive producer. I don't know if he's credited with creating it or not, but he was the the, the executive producer of House of Cards, which is, if I'm not mistaken, that was the first original series on Netflix, which uh, at the time was um, kind of groundbreaking because nobody thought of Netflix as a show that did original programming, and nobody before had done a show and just put all the episodes up at one time. Now it kind of, it's, it's a little bit of the standard. It, it's not weird at all. But uh, when House of Cards came out, it was really weird. Um, or not weird, not in a bad way, but it was it was it was unique for sure. It uh, definitely um, it, it definitely created a, a shift in the in the paradigm of uh, of, what, of what we knew TV to be. And of course, it's a wonderful show with the uh, which gets regularly amazing performances out of its stars Kevin Spacey and Robin Wright. I was about to call her Robin Wright Penn, but she's not married to Sean Penn anymore. And a couple years ago, in 2014, David Fincher made Gone Girl, another great movie, which was also adapted from the book Gone Girl. I haven't read that book yet, but I love the movie so much that I'll probably read the book eventually. Um, What's the... Who wrote it? Something Flynn. Jennifer Flynn? I don't know. Now I'm just fucking making things up. But anyway, great movie. Um, David Fincher at Fight Club. Club, wonderful book, wonderful book, wonderful movie. Yeah, I love the movie. Um, all right, so I'll tell you what. I'm looking at um, I'm looking at the clock here. I am approaching one hour, and I'm also about to hit the halfway mark of my list. So this is sort of what I suspected. So I'll, I'll go ahead and make it official. I will talk about this next book. And then I will wrap up this episode, and then I will give you the rest of my list in, in part two. So this has become a—it's it, now officially become a two-part series of my—a a list of my favorite books that were also adapted into movies. Sound good? All right. So number five on my list, and the, the last book of this particular episode, is About a Boy by Nick Hornby, who is hands down one of my very, very, very favorite authors. If you twisted my arm and you caught me on the right day and you said, who is your favorite author, I would tell you Nick Hornby. And if you asked me the next day, I might say Tom Robbins. If you asked me the day after that, I might say Chuck Palahniuk. If you asked me the day after that, I might say Tim O'Brien. I've got a lot of favorite authors, but, uh, you know, if you pin me against the wall and you put a gun to my head and you said, give me a writer, who's your favorite there's a very good chance i would tell you nick hornby i love love nick hornby's books and his writing about a boy published by riverhead books came out in may of 1999 i'm noticing that a lot of my favorite books and movies are kind of coming out around uh around the same time which is kind of interesting to me i also feel like that fuck I don't know if that year is accurate. I feel like he published that book before that. You know what? Again, I'm gonna call another Audible, and I'm gonna I'm gonna hold on. That year doesn't sound right to me. Uh, I'm gonna see why didn't I? Why didn't I just go to Wikipedia in the first place? They know shit. Oh, you know what? So the book came out in 1998. All right. Well, fuck. Um. So I said, what did I say? 1999. All right. So. I wasn't that wrong, I was only a year off. At any rate, the book is no less wonderful just because I got the year wrong. So here is a synopsis of about a boy. Will Freeman may have discovered the key to dating success if the simple fact that they were single mothers meant that gorgeous women, women who would not ordinarily look twice at Will, might not only be willing but enthusiastic about dating him, then he was really on to something. Single mothers. Bright, attractive, available women. Thousands of them were all over London. He just had to find them. SPAT. S-P-A-T. Single parents, alone together. It was brilliant. And Will wasn't going to let the fact that he didn't have a child himself hold him back. A fictional two-year-old named Ned wouldn't be the first thing he'd invented, and it seems to go quite well at first, until he meets an actual twelve-year-old named Marcus, who is more than Will bargained for. About a boy. Oh my god, I love this book. So uh, so this book was actually given to me as a, as a birthday gift from my brother Greg, who's been on the show several times. And uh Greg probably has absolutely no memory of giving me about a boy as a birthday gift, so if he's listening now then this is just a reminder. You gave me this book. And it was it was the first time I'd ever read a Nick Hornby book, so I can only assume Greg was a Nick Hornby fan and wanted me also to be a fan, and he was he was right. He was right because I would become a fan. I also remember reading the book during my first year at California State University, San Bernardino. And I remember that because when I first started going to school there, it was uh, 2000 and 2001, and I used to go to lunch all the time at Del Taco, which was a few minutes away from campus. And I would I would go to Del Taco and I would order my lunch and I would sit down and I would eat uh, bean burritos and quesadillas and french fries. And I would read about a boy, by Nick Hornby, and uh, and I absolutely loved it. Um, the movie about a boy, directed by Brothers Chris White's and Paul White's, came out in 1999, and um, similar to Silver Linings Playbook, the movie uh, the movie was a little bit the the whole movie wasn't different from the book but it was it's sort of you know like the when I mentioned earlier Silver Lining's playbook uh the climax was about halfway halfway through the book but in the movie that was the the main part of the movie the in in, in about a boy the um, the the ending of the movie is much more I don't know. I guess it's more cinematic. It, it, it's similar to Silver Linings Playbook, actually. The climax of the movie is a talent show, a big talent show with, with a lot at stake, at least in terms of um, the, the, the boy, Marcus, and his social standing. Uh, the book doesn't end that way, though. In fact, I don't, even, I don't remember there being a talent show in the book. It's possible, but I really don't remember it all that well, as far as the ending goes. I think the I think the ending of the book was a lot more. I don't know. I I guess in retrospect, maybe the ending of the book wouldn't have the same cinematic feel. But but whatever that that was the choice of the brothers Chris White's and Paul White's, and I love the movie so so I'm good with that. Um, what's his name? Uh, Hugh Grant played Will Freeman in About a Boy. Uh, the the actor who played Marcus, the kid, I don't remember his name, but he's an adult now and he acts he's still a very successful actor he's been in um, a couple of the new X-Men movies he plays Beast the uh, the blue haired um, gorilla looking superhero uh, he was also the, the zombie in uh, what was that movie called it's the movie where uh, it's like a it's like a love story with with zombies and and uh, you know he meets a girl and the more he starts to kind of fall in love with her the more human he becomes and the less zombie he becomes it's a really sweet movie I really enjoyed it I just can't think of the name right now I guess it doesn't matter it wasn't based on a book so I don't have to talk about it too too much but anyway uh there's that also incidentally this um about a boy it's such a great book and it has uh such um such it's such fertile ground for uh adaptation it was recently adapted into a TV show on NBC also called About a Boy um, it was Americanized so the movie itself takes place in um, in, in London I believe which is where because you know Nick Hornby is he's English uh, British are those the same I fuck I'm really exposing my my ignorance here but whatever uh, so the movie itself takes place in, in London the TV show that was adapted from About a Boy takes place in San Francisco um but other than that it's premise-wise it's it's loyal to the book but after the first episode it, it kind of you know it becomes its own thing it uh it's still it's still very loyal to the spirit of the book but um but you know it it goes it the, the chapters of the TV show are things that didn't happen at all in the book but the premise is there which is um a 30 something man uh, who wants to meet women? Realizes that um, he, you know, if, if he dates single mothers, that he stands a better chance. So he invents a son who doesn't exist, and blah blah blah. Uh, I really really enjoyed the TV show. They did two seasons of it, but got canceled. So again, you know, whatever. No accounting for, for good taste. I enjoyed it. As far as the the, the directors who made the movie, Chris and Paul White's, the only other movie that they made uh, that I've seen is American Pie. Which uh came out in nineteen ninety nine. I don't think that they made ugh, fuck, I'm getting all these dates wrong. When did when, when when the hell did About a Boy come out? Let me hold on. Okay, I'm gonna guess. Two thousand and two is gonna be my guess. Holy shit. Okay. So yeah, two thousand and two is when the when the movie came out. I went to Internet movie database. That's that's you know. That's where you should go when you need information about movies. The TV show, incidentally, came out in 2014. So there's that. About a Boy. Wonderful book. And, uh, and there you have it. That's the first half of my list of really wonderful books that were adapted into really wonderful movies. Uh, so now as I as I wrap up episode number 140 and basically put a pin in this list until episode number 141 I would like to remind you that if you have any shopping to do you should do so on Amazon.com for example maybe you want to get yourself some books maybe you want to get yourself a copy of Life of Pi or The Silver Linings Playbook or Election or Fight Club or About a Boy Or you want to buy all five of those books, which you should because then you'd be like me and they would all five be on your bookshelf. You can get them on Amazon.com. But before you go to Amazon, first go to the official website of this podcast, which you'll find at MartinLestrapsShow.com. Once you get there, go to the shop page. You're going to see an Amazon banner. Click that banner. It's going to take you to Amazon. Then you can do all the same shopping you were otherwise going to do, including Buying yourself copies of Life of Pi, The Silver Linings Playbook, Election, Fight Club, and About a Boy. And because you went through the official website of this podcast, Amazon, in turn, will kick a few pennies back our way. And then we get to take those pennies and reinvest them into the show, and that allows us to make the Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour as good as we can possibly make it for you Also. If you're not already subscribed, please subscribe on iTunes. It's free, and you never have to remember the show. Just every week, assuming I don't miss a week or two, Every, every how about this, every time, so that's more general, every time a new episode is released, it drops right into your, your iTunes list, right into your feed, then you never have to remember. It's just like magic. It's my version of David Blaine and I'm happy to do it, and it's free. Also, while you're on iTunes, please uh, leave a review, especially if you like the show. Leave a review. Let people know uh, how you feel about the show. Hopefully you like it. But even if you hate the show, you can write that too. I'm a big boy. I can take it. If you're not an iTunes listener, you can also catch the show on Stitcher Radio, which you can find at stitcher.com. And if neither of those options does it for you, you can always listen the old-fashioned way on martinlestrapshow.com, where all... 140 episodes are available and very 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 soon all 141 episodes will be available to you so we now know it's official episode number 141 will be the second half of my list of really wonderful books that were adapted into really wonderful movies I want to thank you all for listening Uh, I hope you enjoyed yourself I hope you are I hope you're as excited for the second half of this list as I am and, and don't worry, there really is a second half to the list. I'll just talk about it next time. So if that all sounds good to you guys, then, uh, then this episode is, um, I guess, to be continued. So until next time, I will see you on the other side.